Amen. Well, it's so good to be here this morning. I'll tell you that. Now, thank you, Reg. I appreciate that. I just want to express on behalf of Patty and myself uh, just how blessed we were. The, I know some of you may not know this, but the church actually uh, gave us a trip for serving as a pastor for 40 years, and we just came back from that trip. So we went to, uh, yeah, thank you so much. <clears throat> so <clears throat> we, we traveled a little bit in Ireland, Scotland, England, uh, North Ireland. It's two Irelands, you know, Republic and North Ireland. And then we were in France. And so we had just a wonderful time. And I have to say, we were in Normandy for about a week, and it was deeply moving. I, I have been so impacted by the sacrifice and just being a Canadian and the kind of uh, amazing things that we did as a nation in liberating France for five years of oppression. Let me, you know what's moving? 79 years later, the people there are still filled with gratitude. It is very moving. So what a privilege to be a part of our great nation. I know uh, France loves the Brits. They love the Americans and the Canadians. And uh, all those that fought, you know, many of the Commonwealth countries were fighting, New Zealand, Australia, India. Uh, and many people gave their lives for freedom. And when we think of Christianity, isn't that what the message is? That Jesus laid down his life for us. And I want us to pray this morning. I'm going to have a stand <clears throat> and... Uh, I, you know, I want you to hear my heart this, today. This, this has really been burning in my spirit. And sometimes as parents, we take on a lot of unnecessary guilt, okay, about where maybe our kids are at. And I, I just want to pray today that when we hear this message, here's what we need to hear. I, I want you to get the essence of it. Don't walk away going, oh, I feel beat up or condemned. That's not the, the goal. The goal of the message is to inspire us to step up and take some responsibility, uh, maybe that we have felt inadequate and unworthy of doing, all right? I believe we can impact a nation. I believe that I'm looking at the people that can do it. And I believe God wants to speak into your soul today and, and really challenge us. So sometimes when we're being challenged, don't walk away and say, oh, I'm feeling like I'm, I, I'm failing. Can I just say to all of us, we've all failed. We're, we've all failed God, and yet he's a forgiver. Isn't that beautiful? And he, God is a God of a second chance, and a third chance, and a fourth chance. As a matter of fact, he's given me so many chances, I've stopped counting. How's that? Because I need him every day. I need his grace every day. How about you? So let's pray today. Father, I know that you want to speak powerfully into our lives, and I believe that today, this could be a life-defining moment for some of us. This could be a, a life change in our lives. This, this could move us in a direction maybe we've never considered before, and you want to nudge us. You want to challenge us. You want to inspire us. You want to empower us, Lord, because you're a good father. We're going to hear about fathering today, maybe in a way we've never heard it before. And I just pray as we listen, may the ears of our understanding, our spiritual understanding come alive and may we leave this place with a divine encounter with you. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. And God's people said, amen. Amen, amen. you may be seated. In 1994, 
Sociologist David Blackenhorn wrote a book called Fatherless America. And he identified an alarming trend. And he said, the United States is becoming an increasingly fatherless society. About 40% of American children will go to sleep in homes in which their fathers do not live. That's, that's significant. That's a lot of people. He says, never before have so many been voluntarily abandoned by their fathers. Never before have so many children grown up without knowing what it means to have a father. Fatherlessness is the most harmful demographic trend of this generation. He's, this is 1994. It is the, the engine that is driving our most urgent social problems. Crime, adolescent pregnancy, child sexual abuse, domestic violence against women. There's a debate, even alarm, about specific social problems. Divorce, out-of-wedlock childbearing, children growing up in poverty, youth violence, unsafe neighborhoods, domestic violence, the weakening of parental authority. But in these discussions, we seldom acknowledge the underlying phenomena that binds together these otherwise desperate issues, the flight of males from their children's lives. That's kind of a challenging statement. Let me add <clears throat> Stuart Weber in his book, Four Pillars of a Man's Heart. He echoes Blackenhorn's sentiments. He said the root cause of the great bulk of our societal problems is fatherlessness. Another word for it could be a lack of manhood. For the term father is the consummate masculine word. It applies it is applied masculinity at its best. I, I think we're, we're struggling. What is masculinity today? But what he's saying is it's fathering. He goes on to say, true fathering has very little to do with biology, but everything to do with responsibly caring for others. Whether a man has a biological children or not, he's to be applying himself to fathering functions. Weber is simply echoing the descriptive nature of spiritual maturity as described by John in his epistle. Don't you think it's interesting? John describes spiritual growth like this. He says, young children, you know that you have been forgiven of your sins. It's a category. It's the beginning of our spiritual journey. Then he talks about young men, you have overcome the evil one. It, it means that you've now discovered how to overcome in your spiritual lives, you're, you're living a victorious life. But then he closes with fathers. You've known them from the beginning. It's, it's almost like John is, is taking us on a journey from spiritual infancy to spiritual maturity. And he uses these terms. And so today when I talk about fathering, I'm gonna expand the understanding of the word to include not just people who have biological children, people who are developing spiritually and are maturing, rather you're male or female. How's that? I'm really stretching this word. But it applies to all of us, and you're going to see why in a few minutes. John, you know, he writes this uh, in 1 John. Uh, well, for some reason, I, I skipped that one. But, you know, Paul talks about the same thing. Uh, he's talking about spiritual maturity means we've become a father. And it's assuming responsibility for one's life and the life of others. In other words, 
you are now growing up. You're taking on responsibility. How many know a lot of people in this culture don't want to take on responsibility? Isn't that true? Yeah, they don't want it. Let somebody else be responsible. Let other people be responsible for me rather than me be responsible for others. Paul writes this, be on your guard, firm in the faith, be courageous, be strong, do everything in love. This is the concluding remarks in this 1 Corinthians letter. Look at those words. He's talking about being vigilant. There's obviously a necessity of being alert, being firm in faith. How many times we kind of waffle? Courageous. Wow, we need to have courage in this age. Be strong. We're going to talk about what does he mean by that. And do everything in love. Actually, the New American Standard Version says, be on the alert. <coughs> Excuse me. Stand firm in the faith. Act like men. <laughs> be strong. Let all that you do be done in love. In other words, this is what, what does it mean to act like a man? What is, what is biblical masculinity? What does it mean to be a father? These are the questions we're raising this morning. In our text today, found in 1 Kings chapter 2, we're going to look at four verses, verses 1 to 4. King David is at the end of his life. He knows he's about to die, and he's going to pass on the kingdom to his son Solomon. And he says these words to him. And I believe that in one sense, this charge that David is giving to Solomon is a charge that God is giving to each and every one of us. God is calling us to take on a responsibility that's beyond us. We're gonna need God's help to do the job. You know, a lot of times we back away from things because we feel inadequate. We don't feel we can do it. And I'm gonna argue that that's true for all of us. That, you know, we need help. We need God's assistance to actually do what he's asking us to do. So let's, you know, I, I could say it this way. God is calling each of us to, you know, empower other people's lives, to mentor, to nurture, to enable, to encourage, to comfort, to be a blessing to those around us. And every one of us needs to take a look at our lives and see the legacy that we're leaving behind us. Because we are, rather we believe it or not, what are we leaving behind us? So let's pick up David's words. When the time drew near for David to die, he gave a charge to Solomon, his son. And he said, I'm about to go the way of all the earth, so be strong and act like a man. <laughs> wow. He's, he's basically saying, buddy, you're going to have to step up. Right? How many catch that? Is, I'm, I'm just paraphrasing it. Isn't he kind of saying that? He goes, hey, it's time now. You're going to have to take on a huge responsibility. Ready or not, it's yours to have. You're going to have to do something about it. He says, now, he gives him instruction of how to go about being successful. Now, you can't just tell people, here's a responsibility, but you don't help them. So what does he do to assist him? He says, here's what you need to do. Observe what the Lord your God requires. In other words, do what God tells you to do, Solomon. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees and commands, his laws and his regulations as written in the law of Moses and do this so that you may prosper in all you do and wherever you go. So what is he basically saying? He's saying, do what God tells you to do and things will work out for you. Isn't that what he's saying? I'm just summarizing it. Verse four, and that the Lord may keep his promise to me if your descendants watch how they live 
Now, who's responsible for that? Not David. He's saying, if your descendants, God speaking to David, he said, if your descendants will do what I'm telling them to do, and they watch how they live, and if they walk faithfully before me with all of their heart and their soul, and will never, he says, you will never fail to have a man on the throne of Israel. God says, if you have, if this is how your descendants will behave, this is what I'll do. I'm going to bless your house, your lineage, your ancestry. So what's the essence of this message to David that David's giving to Solomon? Well, he's to be the kind of man that will govern a nation successfully. Now, how many know most of us, we just need help guiding our families, let alone govern a nation? Quite a responsibility. How are we to hear and do what God is charging us to become? I, I think we have to embrace David's challenge to Solomon which in reality is a charge of God to each and every one of us, every man, every woman, every young person, every boy, every girl. It's a charge. You and I need to do what God's telling us to do. No ifs, ands, or buts. No excuses. Amen? Let's just do it, you know? Uh, here we find in our text, I think there's three elements that reveal to us the nature and results of being a father or a godly person. And the first one begins with building a powerful relationship with God. Step number one to be a successful person is you and I need to do something. It requires effort. Now, you know, I know a lot of us, because we learn about grace, we think, well, you know, grace means God does everything. But I've read the Bible very carefully. There's a difference between earning something and making an effort. As a matter of fact, Peter says, you need to add to your faith these things. He says, make every effort. So as a Christian, one of our big problems is that we can become very spiritually lazy. Come on, right? We're not making any effort. God is calling us to make an effort to cultivate and develop this relationship. How many realize that every relationship require work? And if you don't work at them, they don't work. So you have to make an effort. And it begins with our relationship with God. If we don't focus on that relationship, forget the rest. You're going to have all kinds of problems. <clears throat> you know, my life verse is real simple. I love it. It's beautiful. It's before me all the time. Every time I look at the time, it seems to be 633. And I have it memorized. Matthew 633. You say, what does it mean? It says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these other things will be added to you. How many know God's faithful? If you put God first, God will take care of you. Real simple. That's what we need to be doing. Do you know, strength of character comes from a vital relationship with God. You know, we were designed by God to be strong, not weak. <clears throat> you know, I like what John Elridge in his book, Wild at Heart, he talks about what it means to discover the soul of a man. And he says this, and the heart of every man is a desperate desire to fight a battle, an adventurer to live, and a beauty to rescue. So what is a man for? If you know that something is designed to do, then you know the purpose, its purpose in life. In other words, if you understand why you're here, you'll understand your purpose. <clears throat> you say, what's my purpose? 
My purpose is to bring glory to God. My purpose is to bring enjoyment to God. And I do that by serving him. And how do I serve him? By laying down my life and serving other people. Real simple. What a simple little thing. But you know, we, we get distracted. Mm-hmm. We really do. He goes on to say, let's take adventure, for example. Adam and all of his sons after him are given an incredible mission. Rule and subdue, be fruitful and multiply. And let's take another desire. Why does a man long for a battle to fight? Because when we enter the story in Genesis, we step into a world at war. The lines have already been drawn. Evil is waiting to make its next move. And many of us, we become very passive in life. We're always shocked by the battle. You know, things start happening to us. We're going, what's going on? I'm going, folks, if you're in a battle, you have to expect surprise. You're in a battle. There's an enemy out there, and he's out to destroy your soul. And if he can take you out, he's going to take a bunch of other people out. And he knows it. So he's after every one of us. And as you and I do what God wants us to do, we begin to defeat Satan's designs not only for our soul, but to the souls of all the people that God has for you to mentor, nurture, encourage, comfort, uh, teach, direct. That's why he's trying to take you out because he knows if he takes enough people out, we're gonna have problems. But can you imagine if we start winning battles? What happens to our church family? What will happen to our marriages? What will happen to our city? God wants to turn this city around, folks. He wants to turn marriages around, folks. He wants to turn your soul around. We have to take this stuff seriously. We're in a battle. Here in our text, David begins by challenging Solomon to be strong. Now, why would he begin there? Well, he was inexperienced. He was a young man. He had never led a nation before. And there's going to be incredible challenges ahead. Do you know, if God showed you the big challenges that were ahead, you and I'd go, I'm not signing up for that. But he doesn't do it that way. He leads us step by step. Okay? There might be things so challenging that his soul might shrink back from them. And I think a lot of people do that. They shrink back from the challenges that are before them. I'm sure David had in mind the words that God had spoken to Joshua in chapter 1. Remember when Joshua was going into the promised land. You know, David was a man who meditated on God's word. As a matter of fact, we know that David was probably the author of many of the Psalms. In Psalm 1, he says there, Blessed is the man that doesn't walk in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and he meditates on his word day and night. David's mind was shaped by the word of God. And so when you and I really begin to think about God's word and allow that to begin to shape the way we perceive life, it affects our emotions and it affects the direction of our lives, and it gives us an ability to stand in a difficult moment. And a lot of people are just running away. You'll be able to stand. You know, take a look at what God said through Joshua. And you can see the reflection of Psalm 1 and Joshua 1. They sound almost alike because that's what David was doing, meditating. And here, uh, 
uh, we read as he's as meditating, he's restating Joshua chapter one. It says, be strong and courageous. We need to hear this word today. We need to be strong and courageous, he says, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. You will do it. We can, we can be real spiritual. Oh yeah, God will do it. I said, yeah, but God does it through people. Haven't you ever noticed that God doesn't do a lot of things because people aren't doing a lot of things? Amen? He's looking for people. <clears throat> he says, be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all my law that uh, my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left. What does that mean? It means just do what God says. Don't get smart. Don't start justifying, rationalizing, you know, coming up with reasons why I don't need to do this. Let's just do what he's telling us to do. That's what he's telling, right? Trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Lean not to your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will direct your path. Do not be wise in your own eyes. We're not that bright. It's true. How many here have ever done dumb things in their life? How many have done more than one dumb thing in their life? How many have done a lot of dumb things in their life? Okay. I say God's smart. Why don't we just listen to him? He knows what's best. Because keep this book of the law always on your lips. What are you talking? You know, I can tell where you're coming from just by what you're saying. I listen. God's listening. He's hearing what we're saying. Now this isn't, you know, I just want to have the right confession. No, it means that I've got the word of God so intrinsically a part of my life that my mind has been renewed and the way I think affects how I communicate. I think like God thinks and I speak like God speaks because my mind has been renewed by the word of God. That's what God wants, okay? Meditate on it day and night. You know, meditating is actually pondering. Actually, the idea is a cow sitting out in the pasture chewing its cud. You know, it's not just breezing through the Bible saying, yeah, I get this. You know, do you know how rich the word of God is? There's so much beauty in it. There's so much... You know, there's a lot more than you realize that's there when you're reading it. It's just there. So that you may be careful to do everything. God says, it's not just information that I want you to get. I want application. I want you to do it. <clears throat> there's a big gulf between knowing something and doing something. How many say that's true? And putting things into practice sometimes seems harder than, it's, than it is. But folks, even though it's difficult and even though it's uncomfortable, just do it. Right? Yeah, but I don't feel like it, Pastor. Who cares how you feel? See, it's always been about us. It's about how I feel about this. Do you know, I, don't, I cannot just trust what I feel. I can't just act on what I feel. I need to do what God's telling me to do, regardless of how I feel. Amen? Yeah. You know what happens? Eventually your feelings catch up to your actions and go, aren't you glad we did this? And you say to your feelings, yeah, but you were telling me the opposite there a day or so ago. Yeah, but I'm glad you didn't listen to me. I was an idiot. 
You guys don't have these conversations, but I do. So it says, be careful to do everything written in it, and then you will be prosperous and successful. God makes promises that are conditional on our application of the word of God. You know, a lot of us are quoting verses like, God, you need to do this. God goes, yeah, it's conditional on you doing something. Start looking at the conditions. Are you doing what God's telling you to do? Then these are the results that'll happen. And it's true in life. I mean, if I eat the wrong foods, my body will suffer. You know, if I neglect to exercise, I neglect to rest, I neglect to do this, guess what's gonna happen? There's gonna be a consequence. Same thing in the spiritual realm. Same thing. He goes, have I not commanded you be strong and courageous? Do not be terrified. Do not be discouraged. How many people are discouraged? Everyone's getting quiet now. Do not be discouraged. Why? Lord's with you. How can you be discouraged when God's with you? Think about that. You know, God is with me. He's got my back. He's going before me. He's behind me. He's around me. Man, isn't this awesome? I got the best partner in the world. I mess up, but he's always there picking it up, rescuing me. He says, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. Isn't that beautiful? You know, so here Joshua is given a great responsibility to follow Moses, take him in the promised land. David is about to die. Solomon is about to take over the kingdom. You and I have a task to do. You and I have a calling to do. You and I have a responsibility to fulfill. And God is saying, don't shirk back. Do it. I'll be with you. I'll help you. I'll help you to succeed. Just do what I tell you to do. And it's amazing some of the things are going to start happening. You know, it's so amazing. You know, think about... um, this incredible battle that's engaged in our world today. It's a spiritual battle and it's happening in our minds. It's trying to, you know, affect our affections. You know, whom are we gonna serve? Are we gonna serve others? Or are we gonna serve ourselves? Or ultimately, are we gonna serve our selfish desires? Or are we gonna serve God? We have a choice. Are we willing to lay down our lives for our families? For our friends? I mean, if you're going to be Jesus and like him, aren't you doing that? Think about it. You know, Ephesians 6.10 says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. We're challenged to find our strength in God. We're to be strong in him. You know, I discovered this verse when I first started in ministry. I just finished graduating from Bible college. I was really discouraged because I wasn't involved in ministry. It was just, it was a very difficult moment. And you know, the great word of God came to me, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. And I went, What? I feel so weak. God says, I didn't tell you to be strong in you. I said to be strong in me. How I many of that's a big difference? Find your strength in me. Find your wisdom in me. Find your hope in me. Find whatever you need in me. Not in you, not in others. In me. Let's go to God. You know, David understood this. He's talking to Solomon. Remember, David was running from King Saul in the wilderness, and he went to the land of the Philistines, and he worked under the king of Gath in a town called Ziglag. 
And David returned from a canceled military engagement to find that the town of Ziglag was burned to the ground and his family and those of his men had been taken captive by a raiding party of Amalekites. Interesting story. David and his men were so overwhelmed with sorrow that they addressed their despair and anger. The men did towards David. They wanted to kill David. Isn't that amazing when we're despairing, we gotta blame somebody? This society is just blaming everybody for everything. Come on now. It's so true, right? Take a look at the story, 1 Samuel. When David and his men came to Ziglag, they found it destroyed by fire. Their wives and sons and daughters were taken captive. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. They were brokenhearted. David was greatly distressed because his men were talking of stoning him. Each one was bitter in spirit because of his sons and daughters. But... David found strength in the Lord his God. You know what turned that whole situation around? David looked to God. Today, you're in a challenging place. You're going, what should I do, pastor? Find strength in God. Look to God. Amen? That's the answer. Well, we're, we're running all over the place. Look to God. David knew from experience that Solomon would need to find strength in God and in God alone. When you're a leader, you're alone sometimes. I've been a leader now for 41 years. I'm used to it. And you know, I have to look to God. And I do. He's never let me down. And he never will. He's there. <clears throat> You know, when we're gone and our children and those God has called us to, all they're going to be able to look back to is the example that we've laid down for them. That's it. And did they see us trust God? That's the lesson we need to teach people. You're going to forget all the sermons I preached. You might remember a few thoughts, but what you'll remember is, did he trust God? Did he teach us to trust God? That's it. And you know, we have to entrust our kids to the Father in heaven because really they're his kids before they were ever your kids. They are his kids. They've always been his kids. And he's gonna work on them. And you and I just need to be faithful to pray for them, to love them, to live a godly life before them. Amen? So here's Solomon's prayer to God. Now, Lord, my God, you have made your servant king in place of my father David, but I'm only a little child. I do not know how to carry out my duties. What's Solomon doing? He's depending on God. Your servant is here among the people. You have chosen a great people, too numerous to count or number. So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong for who is able to govern this great people of yours. You know what God did? God answered his prayer. Isn't that beautiful? God will answer your prayer. Let me move on to the second element. You know, first one, build a powerful relationship with God. Number two, behave like a godly person. Do what he's telling us to do. You know, I, I just put in my notes, it's time we grow up. How many say that's a, that's a very simple statement? It's time we grow up. No amens? We need to assume responsibility. I realize we struggle with that. 
What does it really mean to be a man in this world today? You know, I think men are struggling with identity. Can we see how our society is struggling with this issue? But when we reject God's model, all we end up with is exploitation and confusion. That's all that's left over. Our culture portrays men in different ways. You know, you got the macho guy, you got the athlete, you've got the smart guy, you've got the successful guy, you've got the Tim Allen funny man guy where everything's a joke, right? Laugh your way through life. But what does it really mean to be a man? Who are you modeling your life after? We're giving a perfect model in the Bible. The perfect man walked before us. You know his name? Jesus. He's the perfect man. He's not only God, but he was also the perfect man. You know what's interesting? He was a father. Never got married. He fathered the disciples. He fathered the widows, the women that ministered to him. He was fathering them. That's exactly right, because leadership is just fathering. He was fathering the people in the society. He said these people are like sheep without a shepherd. Jesus was the shepherd. He was fathering people. But what is Jesus like? What's true masculinity look like? Well, Jesus is loving. He's tender. He's forgiving. He's uh, strong. He stands for what's right. And he's willing to lay down his life for others. Hey, that's a picture of what a man should be doing. How many see it? You know, how many know that Jesus was even criticized, not just by his enemies, he was criticized by his disciples. Anybody know that? Do you know what's really tragic? When you're a leader, you're gonna be criticized by the people you're loving and serving. And you know a lot of people react to that, and I just go, no, that's just the way people are. We need to keep laying down our lives for people. We need to keep loving people no matter what they do or say. You go, that's tough pastor. Well, how do you overcome evil? You do good. You pray for them. You bless them and do good to them. You know, when somebody does something rotten to you and you feel emotionally like doing something rotten back, are you going to listen to your feelings then? Or are you going to say, the mind of God tells me I'm going to do something nice for them right now? How many know that kind of blows people away when they've just treated you poorly and you treat them really nice? How many know that kind of has a very disorienting experience for the other individual? How many know that's true? You see, if we're going to behave like the people that are treating us poorly, then we're just like them. And that's not what God is interested in. He wants us to be different than that. How are we ever going to see our society change if we're just acting like they're acting and we're responding like they're responding? It's not going to happen, folks. We got to behave differently than that. As a matter of fact, I would say that Jesus lived a very disciplined lifestyle. You say, how do you know that? Because the disciples began emulating it. They noticed Jesus prayed. Jesus spent a lot of time praying. As a matter of fact, when I'm reading through the New Testament, this is what I kind of noticed. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Can I ask you, how much time do you really spend in God's word? Or how much time do you spend relating to one another in the body of Christ, praying for each other, caring for one another, serving one another? You know, it's not just coming to church once a week. That's not what really builds community. It's the giving of our lives to one another. Forgiving one another, praying for one another, comforting one another, bearing one another's burdens. There's a lot of one another's. I've read the New Testament. 
the breaking of bread, which is what is what is this about? This is a renewal of our covenant with God and to prayer, communication with God. So in a capsule, a man of God, a champion for God, finds strength in God, emulates the life of Christ, practices a disciplined lifestyle, and he's going to be all he can be for the glory of God. And he's not a loner. That's an image the movies give us. But that's not God's image. We're interdependent. We're interdependent. We recognize we need each other. We can't do this alone. You know, I believe that truly a father is someone who's there to serve others rather than serve themselves. People want, you know, Jesus was like that. And people wanted to serve Jesus because he constantly demonstrated love to them. If you look at the godly men from Scripture, you'll notice that they served the people they led. And that's our calling as a father. That's our calling as a godly person. The true measure of a man is not what he gets out of life, but rather what he puts or invests into it. It's what we put into the lives of others that really matter. You know, a lot of people are going, I just don't seem to be getting anything out of this. And all you're telling me is you're not putting anything into it. That's how my mind works. Because the people who lay down their lives for other people would never talk like that, number one. Number two, the more you put into other people's lives, yeah, some people will use you. Yeah, you may not get all of the you know, equal returns, but that's not what it's about. At the end of the day, you're becoming the person God designed you to become. And that's amazing to me. Let me move on to the third point. It's the benefit of embracing God's standard of manhood. When we do what God says, amazing results happen in our lives. Look at verse 3 again of 1 Kings 2. It says, observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to him. Keep his decrees, commands, his laws, his regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper. In other words, if you do what God's telling you to do, you're going to see things happen. You're going to see good things happen. You're going to see good results eventually happen. It'll happen. You know, talk to the people who have served God for a long time. You know what they'll tell you? It pays to serve God. It's true. It just does. It's worth it. You know, you know I, I think I've, I've been a Christian now 48 years, and I've thought about it. You know, when I started out, man, I had so many wrong ideas. And I've been on this journey for a long time. And you know, you think you understand it after 10 years or 20 years or 30 years. You know what I'm still discovering? I'm still going, wow, how did I miss that? How did I miss that? You know what I mean? And you just keep discovering things. It's, it's a life of discovery. I love it. And it gets more exciting. I am, I am more excited about Jesus today than I've ever been in my entire life. I think he's more amazing. I, I, I'm more stoked. I'm more, you know, uh, over the top. You know, I read the scriptures and I'm going, man, are these things so exciting? There's so much good stuff here. You know, I was just reading this morning. God's the God that created the world. I'm going, wow, he made it all. This is amazing, you know. And here we're hung up on, can God do this? He just created everything. That can't be too hard for you, God. You know, he redeemed us. I mean, think about how big and great and marvelous and loving and amazing God is. It gets me excited. How can you be bored and be a Christian? 
It's an oxymoron in my mind. This should be the most dynamic, exciting life. You know, I'm on this trip, and I'm saying to myself every day, okay, God, I know we're out here, and we're visiting and learning all this stuff, but what are you really trying to tell me? That's how my mind works. Like, what is the real lesson on this trip, God? I know there's something here. I'm like the little kid, you know, that, that, that knows there's got to be a horse in the roof full of manure. You know, there's got to be a horse in there somewhere, right? You know, that's the kind of mind. I just go, God, you, you want to teach me something here. And, and, and he will if we open our hearts and minds to it. So what are the benefits of being a man of God? Well, men who follow God's ways are the ones that will prosper in all they do and wherever they go. The scripture teaches that. But the idea of prosperity, literally, literally uh, it, it, it supersedes our general concept of materialism. See, that's, that's how a lot of people read these verses. Prosperity means I get more things. No. To me, it speaks of well-being and wholeness. You can have all the money in the world and be a totally broken person. You're not prospering then. You're broken. But to walk around going, man, I, I'm just so wealthy, God. I've got you. I've got everything I need. I don't need anything but you, really. I mean, whatever I need, it's there. You're taking good care of me. There's joy, peace, contentment. And then our children, they receive an incredible heritage. And I'm not just talking about our biological children. I'm talking about the people we're, we're fathering, we're mentoring, we're comforting, we're encouraging, we're strengthening, we're blessing because we've been on the planet. We're enriching someone else's life. How many go, how much of a privilege is that? Isn't that neat? You're here for a reason. God created seven billion people on the planet, but everyone is uniquely different and we all have a purpose and most people never discover it. How sad. It's tragic. You know, and then you, then you see God's promising David, a descendant. Do you know God was so good to David that even though his descendants messed up, God continued to have a light shining of one of David's descendants all through the, the, the kingdom of Judah. They go into exile, and you know what? You come up the other end, and here's Mary and Joseph, descendants of, of David who have, well, Jesus comes out of that lineage. Even though we mess up, God is faithful. Isn't that amazing? I think it's awesome. Oh, I tell you. You know, I, I'm going to close with this, with something. I was going to share, you know, the difference between the godly and ungodly lives. And, you know, and, and it's sad, you know. A lot of people think these people that, are, that don't believe in God, that their lives are great. Let me tell you, their lives are so broken and so messed up. And one of the root causes is, as one article said, it's defective fatherhood. A lot of them had defective fathers. You know, people like Stalin and Hitler and all these guys, they had messed up fathers. Even Sigmund Freud said his father was a sexual pervert. No wonder he was having all these issues as a psychologist. But I don't want to focus on that. You know, rather what I want to say is this, that when you and I decide to step up to our responsibility, say, God, I want to be the person you're calling me to be. I want to embrace what you're asking me to do. I want to accept the responsibilities you're asking me to do and, and be faithful and ask for strength and grace to do it. Your life is going to produce some powerful things. And it's never too late. It's never too late. You say, well, yeah, but I've lived all these years and I've, I've lived on the wrong motivation. I've lived for myself. I'm a mass pastor. I'm going to tell you this morning, there's hope for you still because God can turn your life around and in the last number of years in your life make you more fruitful than you've been through your entire life 
if you will take on the responsibilities calling you to. And so I'm going to have a stand. And I talked to the guys that I prayed with this morning. These guys are spiritual fathers in our church. They pray for you every week. They're faithful men. And I'm asking them to come forward right now. Just come forward, guys. I want you to come here. And I'll tell you what we're going to do this morning. I believe the Spirit of God. And I was praying, you know, I was so wound by this sermon. I'm dreaming this stuff. That's how I get, you know, I get into it in my mind. And you're here this morning. You say, you know, Pastor, I feel like God's Spirit is speaking to me. He's telling me, act like a man. I want you to step up. I want you to step up. I want you to, I, I, want to, I want to get my act together. I want to discipline my life. I want to build a meaningful relationship with God. I want to start pouring out my life. I want to lay down my life for other people. I want to make a difference. I want to change what's happening in my family. I want to change what's happening in my church family. I want to change what's happening in my community. I want our city to be a model community in our nation because God is doing something powerful through our lives. God is speaking to you. I'm going to have you come forward right now. Guys, come on down here. God's speaking to you right now. You're just saying, you know what? I want, I want, to, I want to see something happen in my life. I want to see change happen in my life. I want to step up. I hear God calling me right now. He's telling me, step up. Step up. Come on here, guys. Come on, we're going to pray for you. We're going to pray for one another. Ladies, you're not going to be excluded. I'm going to, I'm going to incorporate you in a minute. Guys, I want you to lay hands on the guys around you. I want you to pray for your brothers. I want you to pray for these guys. Say, come on. Let's pray for one another right now. Let's pray for one another. We're stepping up, God. We're gonna be men of God. We're gonna act like men. We're gonna be like, you know, the Jesus that people need in our, in our homes, in our community. We're gonna be those men. We're gonna be men of God. We're gonna be difference makers. Okay, guys, great. Ladies, you're not, you're not off the hook. You are not off the hook this morning. Because you know why? Because I was telling you that this has got to do with spiritual maturity. It's about spiritual maturity. How many are hearing it? Some of you are saying, you know, I've, I've held back. Pastor, I have held back as a woman of God. But I want to step up. I want to step up this morning. I want to be all that God wants me to be me to be as a woman of God. I want to be there. You know, you know, a lot of times as wives, you know, you, 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 can, you can really do a lot of damage. You know, if you're just sitting there complaining, criticizing, no. Pastor, I'm going to start praying for my husband. I'm going to support him more. I'm going to encourage him more. Yeah, sometimes he does dumb things. I get it. You know, all the ladies are smiling. I get it. You know, even my wife straightens me out. People don't know that, but she does. She has lots to say to me. That's fine. Tell, you know what? I got to listen. I need to listen. But you know what I notice? More prayer. Patty, over the last few years, praying a lot more for me. I know that. She's praying a lot more for me. It's affecting me. You want to see change in your husbands? Start praying for them. Pray, for, pray a lot for them. Put God on them. Amen. What about you? Are you stepping up to your responsibility? Are you disciplining yourself? Are you seeking God? You know, instead of spending all that time on social media, why don't you spend some more time in the Word of God? Meditating on it, thinking about it, speaking it, 
ministering to people around you, saying, God, is there somebody I need to phone today? You know, God, you've put this person on my heart. I'm going to phone them and say, hey, how are you doing today? God put you on my heart. Can I pray with you today? How many think that's better than just spending time on social media? Amen. Amen. Come on, ladies. How many ladies here, just by raising your hand, say, you know, Pastor, God's speaking to me right now. I need to step up. I need to be a courageous woman of God. I need to be obedient to God. I need to do what God's asking me to do. I want to see change in my family. I want to see change in my children. I'm going to start praying more. I'm going to start seeking God more. We're going to have a different church, folks. We get serious about this. It's going to change things. We're going to step up. So, Father, I just thank you for my brothers and sisters this morning. We want to step up. We want to assume responsibility. We want to become more like you, Jesus. We want to be, we want to be people transformers. We want to see change, not because we're manipulating, but because we're changing and people around us are noticing something's happening inside of us. They're seeing the change in our attitudes. They're seeing the change in our vocabulary. They're seeing the change in our actions. They're seeing the change in our generosity. They're seeing the change in our, in our understanding of who you are, God, and how we're treating people around us. Lord, we're drawing people now. We're drawing people to your kingdom just because we're living the life of Christ. And we thank you for that, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you leave this morning. Thank <laughs> you.